This episode of Inside Fashion is brought to you by Shopify Plus. From the first sketch to the retail floor, you need a commerce platform to help you scale at the speed of your ideas. That's why the world's fastest growing brands like Steve Madden, Chubby's, Le Sportsac, and Gymshark rely on Shopify Plus to sell to their customers around the world. You'll be able to go wherever your customers are, from New York to Milan to Instagram. And they'll make sure you look brilliant in every size, from pop-up shop to mobile. Join over 5,000 brands on Shopify Plus at shopify.com forward slash BOF. I wanted lightness at Dior. I wanted elegance at Dior. And I wanted to have the art aspect of it. This is the very highest stratum of fashion. It is the most expensive, but you've opened it up. I like to go into a brand and work with the pillars of the house rather than just set my own pillars up. Seeing everything, and you have to think, well, what am I going to add to this? Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. This week, it's Tim Blanks who takes us on a tour of the new world of Dior men under the direction of Kim Jones, a talented designer who's worked at Dunhill and Louis Vuitton, but also collaborated with incredible creatives like Alexander McQueen, Melanie Ward, and Stephen Jones. To get a better understanding of how Kim thinks about reinterpreting a historic house like Dior, Tim sat down with Kim on a recent trip to London to understand better what his approach is, how he thinks about taking existing pillars and interpreting them through the codes that have been part of his career since the very beginning when he graduated from Central St. Martin's in 2002 and launched his own label at London Fashion Week in 2003. So what's the difference between Kim Jones and Dior Men and how do the two meet? Here's Kim Jones, Inside Fashion. So Kim, when did you get back from Egypt? Um, I got back from Egypt two days ago. How long were you there? Um, for 10 days. It now, felt like longer. As a man who's um, seen almost every nook and cranny of this planet of ours, uh, how, how did that trip stack up? Um, it was really just incredible because it's like seeing everything, you know, actually going to all the tombs and seeing just the, you know, just the beauty and the amount of work and everything and just the concept of what these all things come from and how they were made is kind of mind-blowing and you know no one really knows so it was quite a sort of overwhelming experience when you went to those things you it was very sensory overload it's like you, you come back and you process it and, and what's what is the the process then i mean d- does this does it does it emerge in the work at some point that Everything you've seen, experienced, and so on, does it? Not so much. I mean, you know, it's like for Vuitton, it was a travel luxury. They're the goods brand. So it was really about travel and looking at destinations, which all came from the 100 Trunks book, which we'd look at a destination that had a relevance to Vuitton and then work with that as a way of looking to create a story. But you're not at Dior. I mean, there's, you know, because it's, for me, it's a different thing. I'm looking at Dior for Dior. It's a kind of obviously bringing an artist to work with but you know we just went we wanted to go on holiday for Easter and we were very sort of you know um, someone said I've got a boat there you should go down the Nile and it was just kind of incredible because you're going through these we went through um, the temple in Luxor at night and you're just like going through those huge columns with the hieroglyphics and it's like just you know we were just like it's like uh, being back in time just what life must have been like and just you know just the 
in the sensory overload, but in a really amazing way, kind of, you know, this like crazy powerful empire of, you know, which is really based on beauty and super advanced for the time. It's kind of mind blowing, you know, the fact when the guides were telling us about all, how the pyramids were made and things that they're so, they don't know so much about these things, which is kind of because it's not, they can't find any evidence or information, so they don't know how this is. But the one thing that they kept on saying to us is that if at the time when they were built, when the earth was flat, the pyramids were in the perfect center of the landmass of the earth, and just how they would know that. It's kind of crazy. So now you have a passionate faith in aliens. I mean, I, you, we'd have to be arrogant to um, think that we were the only planet with life on in our universe. When you think how old it is and how many things there are in, in the universe. And things that we can't explain on this planet. It, would you say travel is your your own personal luxury? For me, I you know, the one thing when I do a lot of collections a year, I like to go somewhere away from what I do and look, you know, a lot of it's in nature because I love, you know, I'm very, you know, I do a lot of conservation work in my spare time because it's a passion that I've had since I was a kid, just seeing animals in the world and being lucky to have all these experiences that I've had. You know, it's just, it's been in my life since I was three months old, so I don't know what else it is. It's just, you know, but I do, you know, I realize it's a real privilege to travel and how lucky I am to have seen so much of the world in such an amazing way. But what's always struck me is you have such a connoisseur's appetite for things. Yeah. For, for you, your, your appreciation of, of the finer things in life, like art and 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 uh, and actually luxury, is is so honed. How does that sit with your love of the natural world as well? It's it's almost like you love ultimate artifice and ultimate nature. Yeah, I mean, well, they're both things that are incredibly beyond beauty you know you go when you're like in the middle of you know rainforest and you're seeing these incredible things or you're looking at tigers in the world and these animals that are just so unbelievable and you think about the evolution of them and just like to become this ultimate predator that's just also the most beautiful thing you can see um it's it's, it's the eye isn't it i guess i mean you know my family all have you know, I guess they had good taste, so, and I saw things from a very early age that just sat, sat with me. And, you know, also being, you know, that kind of thing of being in different parts of the world and seeing how people wear clothes in a different way, particularly for me across the African continent, the style is just something that I find sublime. People wear clothes in a way that just makes anything look amazing. It could be like, you know, it's just, there's this, it's an eye, isn't it? I think that's the thing. I like, you know, I like working in luxury because, you know, we all are aware of what's happening globally with the world's, you know, environment. And, you know, I know that what we do in fashion is probably one of the least damaging parts of it. So, and, you know, I'm always looking at things to make things better and how we can resolve issues. And it's like... You mean in terms of sustainability? Yeah, that exactly. luxury, luxury might might be one of the areas of the fashion industry that is perhaps yeah, more it's, responsible it's, than... Yeah, it's like, it's you know, it's a duty, isn't it? And I think, you know, now, you know, it's a conversation we have in every design meeting now about fabrications and things like that. And, you know, we're, very, you know, we're all aware, you know, people have kids, the, you know, kids, you know, they have to have a good life and the generations after. And I think, 
you know, just seeing the, th- you know, things like the new Netflix thing that David Attenborough did and that horrible scene with the walruses falling off the ice um, cliffs, it's, you know, off the cliffs and just dying. It's like, you know, there's, it's incredible to well, think. Did you hear about the thousands and thousands of emperor penguin chicks yeah. who died when their natural habitat that they've had for thousands of years crumbled away to nothing? Yeah, I mean, and the parents haven't even come back to that place to breed. So the parents actually aren't breeding anymore. Yeah. Because that was where they bred. No, they're having huge crashes in populations in the yeah. both poles. That's the place that's going the fastest. And it's like... But where where does that... I mean, obviously, that, that you see more and more a sense of responsibility in, in, in people who are in positions where, you know, they can educate other people. How do you feel about that? Do you, do you feel that that sensibility is infil- infiltrated... You know, the, actually, the, say the notion, for example, when you talk about men, men's couture. Yeah. That is the elevation of a, a kind of, you know, the elevation of menswear. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, Dior is one of the pinnacle houses for, you know, couture. For me, when I think of couture, Chanel and Dior are the two brands that set, set out for me, you know, as being the two main houses that I think everyone knows the history of them being big couture houses. You know, Saint Laurent came from Dior, so it's, that's a different thing. But, you know, I look at what people also desire and want and, you know, what people with money want is something that other people don't have now. So you're making these things which are very special pieces that people do buy, but they might only, you know, we might sell five, but it's like that's a big part of the business, you know. So it's really, you know, a thing where those objects of beauty you know, I go to, you know, we all went to the Christian Dior exhibition in London to the opening and seeing everything. And you have to think, well, what am I going to add to this? And I did that at Vuitton as well when, you know, when they started doing the traveling exhibitions. And it's like, you know, when we're looking at the trunks and I was with the curators and I was like, you've got all the old trunks, but where are all the new things that have been made? And then we went through the um, archives of the things that we'd done and, you know, they started going to the exhibitions as well because it's like, it's, you don't want it to be just historic, it's got to be something that's living and breathing as well and people can have the desire to go and buy. So what was, what was your decision when you looked at the, when you looked at the, the, the heritage of Dior and what can you, and you were asked yourself, what can I bring to it? What did you, how did you answer that I question? I saw points of his life, his love of nature, his love of, um, you know, his art, the fact that he was a gallerist before makes it seem logical to work with artists at Dior because he would be doing that now. I think he sort of started off, I mean, I think I'm quite you know, media savvy in terms of certain ways. And he was, he was the, you know, he employed an American publicist in, when he started the brand, it's kind of like, that was very forward thinking, you know, and it's like being, you know, the art versus commerce aspect of what he did is very interesting. And I think, you know, although there's an appeal to him as a person, as well as what the brand is. And I look at the whole of it rather than just the brand, because you can find more. Were you surprised that that compatibility did it? Did that compatibility emerge as you started work on the on the Dior project? Or yeah, I mean, I didn't. Did you know, I couldn't see the I didn't see the archive before I joined. So you know, we did the first show in two months, and I look back at it, and you know, this the re, it still has a resonance that show. You know, people 
it's still very in people's minds and it's like we're going into the second show now where there's these huge you know robots being put up all over the world in China and Hong Kong and Japan and everywhere and like you know in London and it's kind of like you know the fact that it's completely changed and switched and people are it's and but people are understanding what Dior is through it I think and understanding that the references come from his work which I think is you know my approach I like to go into a brand and work with the pillars of the house rather than just set my own pillars up I think it's important you bring some stuff to the house you're there working for the brand and you interpret the brand you know that's how I see it see I think what what's been interesting what's 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 quite what stands out about what you've done so far is this this sort of reverence of, of the art for the artisan. I mean, this, you know, the incredible, the incredible work that goes into what you're making, and this sort of futuristic strain as well, which is interesting too, um, like the robots. Like yeah. the, but also the there's something almost intergalactic about about the way you're showing the clothing, and and it, it feels to me like that's kind of dual too that he was looking to the future in a way that maybe yeah people didn't think about so much at the time no i know it's like kind of you know i mean it's really funny because there's what there's this youtube thing that malcolm mclaren's talking about christian dior being almost like a rebellion and you know that was like the onset of the teddy boy look and the and you know the way people dressed and really that was like the founding thing he thought was punk and I thought that was quite interesting. What Christian Dior, grandfather of punk. Yeah, I know, it's funny, isn't it? But it's just like that sort of the way that Malcolm McLaren processed it, I thought that was a very appealing thing. And then you go back and you see things, you know, Dan Thorley um, sent me a link to an Adamant song called Christian Dior. And it's like those sorts of things that, you know, have the reverence of that going through different parts of, you know, subcultures, which obviously I'm really interested in. Um, it it fits in lots of different things, but the futuristic thing for me is like you know, you know we did that big cap, we weren't you know moving runway for the last show, and you know it's not the first time it's been done, but I think the way that we did it, it was kind of like the map. It was like looking at the idea of a salon where the women stood still and people looked at the garments, and so it's taking that historic reference but putting it into a very modern context, and it makes quite a powerful image. So. You know, I mean, the thing, you know, I've got really great people working with me and Pietro's really, you know, let's just do it. And Olivia is super amazing and supportive. And, you know, you go and talk about the idea and then it just happens. It's like, it's like they're really, really great facilitators. So um, I feel like you, you know, they give you the confidence to go that little bit edge further. But they make it sort of more, I mean, it just feels like it's slightly future, you know. I don't know, you know, you look at what people, all the people that have worked there in different guises have made big impacts on things. And I think that's, you have to look at it in what it's, what it is for now. Well, it's, it's, uh, I guess it's that old idea that, um, you know, you go through the past to the future. Yeah. And, and so there is that, there's that element of legacy and history and that's sort of, it's quite classic beauty. Yeah, but then there also is this other thing that makes you stop and look. That's slightly disturbing, I suppose, in a way. I mean, I think that you've been always, you've always been very good at 
adding that little kind of I like subver- I like subversion. I think it's an interesting thing, and I think it's something that lots of people don't see if they don't understand it. And I think so. You know, we play with the things that we love, and I, you know, and you know, I've got such a great team of people around me working that is like. You know, we all like when we get excited about something, we like then go, How much more can we do with this? And just, you know, the idea of, you know, they just, you know, you all encourage each other to get, you know, more. And, you know, working with Melanie Ward and then Stephen Jones, who's actually a super brilliant because he's been working there for years and years and knows the archive inside out. He's always sending me things. And like, you know, the way that Stephen sees things is really interesting because he's a real you know he's worked with some really amazing people and his knowledge is unbelievable and just you know you'll talk about something then like he'll have left the meeting and 10 minutes later you get a text with the picture of something that you know he's found it really quickly and he knows you know it's just that sort of thing of having these really great people around that you all bounce off each other. Now as much as you've you've been inspired by Dior, Mr Dior himself um, I, you know, I've, I have noted that there's a real continuity between your work now and your work for yourself when you first started showing your own collections. Yeah. How many years ago was that? Now that's ten years. Ten years ago. That. Yeah. Uh, and that thread from then to now, I find really, I find really interesting. I wonder if you see that as well. Yeah. There's things I think. You know, I'm true to myself when I do these things. It's not like I. You know, it's, you have to have part of you in it, but I think it's kind of, I don't know if it's the cycles of fashion or something, but, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my friends, young kids are really into my old stuff. And, you know, there's 16-year-old, 15-year-old, 14-year-olds, and they're sending me DMs with, you know, pictures of, like, a collection from 2004. And I'm like, how did you find that picture? And it's like they've done, like, a big research on the internet and gone like to... the it. Russian convict collection. Yeah, exactly. Example. And mm-hmm. it's like, you, what's funny is recently we found the pictures we did with Luke Smalley uh-huh. of those, and I haven't seen those. I never saw the pictures because he died shortly after. And, you know, that's kind of... It was like, you know, Lee died, then Luke died, and then Ambrose, who was the model in the pictures, died... month after month after month so it's quite hard to look at them and um, but you know I was really happy to see them and just um, you know you know it's still relevant now I think well but can you see things like the shorts yeah the the way that the combination of of tailoring and sportswear even the way the the models haircuts yeah look like the dual models now yeah It's, it's a really really strong Connection. Yeah, I mean, I do, you know, I, I don't reference my own work, but it's inside my head, probably, you know, subconsciously, and um, you know, also because Lucy's been working with me for the whole time, and you know, we're both steering the ship, so to speak. So, um, you know, there's things, you know, that we, you just, things just come through. I think, um, you know, Guido did all the hair for those shows. Peter worked on all the makeup. It's the same team working on everything. You know, it's kind of, it's it's so, those things maybe, you know, they just come through subconsciously. And then... I like the fact that you, the way you see it compared to how I see it, but it's like, I don't like nostalgia and aspects of things, but I think, you know, picking things out that, you know, 
it's like Steve from Reddit quite often will find an old Kim Jones bit and show it to him and he's like, the, you know, this is this is really amazing, this look at this detail and he, you know, Steve I absolutely love talking about details with he gets so excited about everything and like he you know I've known him since I was sixteen so we can really, you know, go to town on looking at things and get excited and he love you know, it's really fun just like hearing all his stories and things. But you know that those first collections of yours felt like something new at that time. It was it felt like you were actually you actually were pioneering something which then went on to become you know, pretty much the yeah. lingua franca of modern menswear. But I see when I when I look at the, those collections and these collections, one of my favorite fashion movies, one of my f- favorite reference points for, for for especially for menswear is Gattaca, because that's it's in the future, but it's only just it's only just in the future, so it's familiar, but it's not. And I think that's the quality of you know the, the your that's a, that's the consistency in all your work I mean I always look forward I think you know because we're looking forward anywhere when we're deciding we're looking at six months time down the line so and you have to think about what people want but you also have to be realistic about you know there's that point where it gets too futuristic people can't wear it and so there's a sort of set balance and I thought you know I was really the last show we did the autumn winter one in Paris well the winter one sorry in Paris is probably one of my favourite shows I've ever done because I just felt that all the details and elements of it that were there felt very right for now. Um, How? Tell, tell, me, tell just, me a little bit about that. You know, it's like, you know, we did all those tactical vests and things that were um, bead and, beaded embroidered with Raymond's, with Raymond's work on and stuff like that. And just like the idea of um, the fact that, you know, and then everyone's like, oh, is it about Gilet Jaune? And I was like, no, it's not because that wasn't started when we started the collection. Mm. It's like, but it's a statement about things. You know, the world's in a pretty weird situation at the moment, so I think things that are optimistic are really positive to put out into the world, and people want that, you know? I think this, you talk about subversion. I think there was something utterly perverse about using the artwork of somebody like Raymond Pettibon, who used to do the flyers for Black Flag, yeah. and then spending like thousands of hours hand-beating one of his works into this utterly extravagant thing yeah it is it is a quite a perverse gesture I know, but you know when you look at his work and how it's progressed from a very light linear thing because i collect his work and it's like and you know meeting him was kind of a you know it's like meeting a hero you're um I find it quite overwhelming, but Stella Schnabel was the person that introduced me to him and we went to see him and, you know, and the thing we actually got on about was animals, talking about animals, because I was like, you know, like I'd like you to do some new things and it became a leopard print because that was one of the signatures of Dior. And, you know, I know him from Black Flag and from artworks for, you know, that that West Coast punk scene and things like that. I used to be a straight edger and it's like... um, so it's be it's things that are part of your life for a long time and it's um you know just kind of yeah it's 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 punky in a way but it's done in a very luxurious way and it was really nice when he saw how we treated all his work how happy it made him like to see it in actual real and the way that 
it sort of takes it to a different perspective, but it's still very respectful of what he's done. Is, is that one of the most pleasurable bits of your job that, you know, you love Raymond Pettibon, you get to collaborate with him, you love the Chapman brothers, yeah. you get to, and you love Christopher Nemeth. I yeah. mean, you, 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 you've managed to weave your private passions in, into, you know, the work for the most high-profile fashion labels in the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Nemeth thing was very interesting because, I, you know, I was in Japan very recently, and I went to the store to see the family, like his wife and the two daughters, and it's just nice to see how their business has changed since that and how people respect and like what, you know, they know his work more now because of that. Because, you know, it's like, you know, Judy and Mark Labor and, you know, Christopher Nemeth was like, you know, the trio together and like, you know, Judy was obviously someone we, that worked on the collection with us and, you know, we, we've been communicating a lot before he went, you know, sadly died and we'd been working on a project together and it was taking a long, long time and just like, you're seeing things and, you know, that's something, you know, when I was looking at Judy's impact, for example, on modern styling and him putting things together from designers like Helmut Lang, Margiela, working with you know things with John different things and seeing how actually hugely influential he was but not you didn't you know all the music stuff like the Bjork in that mohair jumper and like these different things that you wouldn't think you know you just didn't go well, who's the stylist for this you just thought you know when you're young you think that's what the you know, singers wear, chooses to wear. It's like there's all those different things which, you know, the behind the scenes of fashion where you get these different, um, you know, things coming through and it's like a team of people. That's the kind of thing that I think is the fun, interesting research. But do you think that people are more aware now when they look at it, when they look at an image that, well, what goes into it, when, when they... Um, you know, do you, I, I, because I think there's more of a cult of personality now, maybe than there used to be. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's funny. I just you know, because there's these two ways that people see people. They perceive them from their image, and then they perceive them, you know, from a sort of tabloid view as well. I guess, and I think that you know, I mean, I I think the information being more available purely because it's you can type something in and find it very quickly. Changes the way people think about how things are made. But, but you're, doing, you're doing book signing, magazine signings, you're doing personal appearances. It, yeah. Ten years ago, that kind of thing just didn't happen. No, so. it's like we're doing a podcast like this. <laughs> wouldn't happen until recently. It's like, you know, I kind of think, you know, it's like I was talking to Kate and like saying, I'm going, I'm going to see Tim to do a podcast and she's like you know because it's like talking about like all the digital extra things you have to do for a shoot and advertising and you know it's really there's a lot more work that goes into things now and it's like but you know in the you know you hear stories about these fabulous shoots that rolled on for a week in an amazing location everyone going in and you know that's that fantasy of fashion that's really exciting and interesting and um you know, and it's like working with Steve Mizell on our campaigns with Ronnie and Pat and Guido, you know, that's like 
really beyond an amazing experience and really fun and exciting to do. And I love the fact we do more campaigns because I get to spend more time with them and we just really have a really fun laugh and just watching him work is just so incredible. For a day though, like where it used to be a week, you know, yeah, it exactly. all happens so quickly. And it's just like, just the perfection that happens in front of you there is just really unbelievable. But in all, in all the time I've known you, I've thought of you as quite a shy and retiring type. So how do you cope with this this profile? How do you, how do you feel about I, the fact you know, that people it, know you now? Uh, you know, a lot of people come up to me in the street for a photo or just to say hello. And I'm always really flattered. At, I mean, a, I think I'm quite unrecognizable and a bit boring looking, so I don't really think about, um, um, you know, it's it's a new thing and it's kind of like, you know, I've got friends I can talk to about it and just, you know, I can't, you know, there's some situations where you think this is really surreal, but, you know, it's part of the job now, isn't it? So you just do it. But also there's something very, it's, it's odd, but there's something quite personal about what, what, about the work. So you'll, you know, you'll represent that in a way. It comes from you, that this, this sort of yeah. that curiosity, the, your curiosity. And then there's a sort of curious quality in the clothing. So yeah, I think, you have um, to be able to talk about that. I think the thing, probably one of the things, you know, with some, you know, myself, it's like, I think people can relate, they relate to me. I think, and they think it, I'm, I guess I'm quite approachable. So the consumers that I meet, because I love to meet people. I, I like going to our stores, I like talking to the, st the shop, you know, everyone in the shops and seeing what works, what sells, you know, what their feelings are about things. It's, you know, I like to hear everything. And then, you know, you meet the customers in the stores and you see, you know, New or events like you know when we did System in Japan, ran out of magazines, so we signed a baby. <laughs> it's like really good fun and just like um, you know, it's you signed what a baby's forehead. No, it's like it's really funny. Um, uh -huh. It's the picture. It's like um, I did one leg, Jürgen did the other, and, um, and in indelible ink. Yeah, and like, so the parents had it. The signatures tattooed. Yeah, the parent, Then we, we 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 did a picture. Me and Kate with the baby after. It was like really, it was just the cutest baby, and um, and it was just like that sort of thing of you know it's it's nice to to just meet people. But you said people show up with your old clothes and stuff, yeah. you know, that... Yeah, I mean, it's like people bring in things that are like, you know, from 2003 and want them signed and I'm really happy to do that because it's like, it's, you know, they're still, they followed me from really early on and they're still buying my designs, which is kind of really um, interesting. That's quite funny because I was just talking on my Instagram, but you look at that picture from the Russian collection and then you look at that yeah. sort of thing. And it's like, yeah. I, I don't look at it like that, but you saying that makes me think, Yeah, you know. I think there really is a connection. But do, are you conscious of your, have you, are, you, are you increasingly aware of your, of your own influence then? Of I'm, you know what, it's like I talk to lots of young designers and people and it's like, what I do really like is the fact that um, you can have these conversations and, you know, it's when they, they'll say to you, you know, oh my God, you really inspired me to do this. And I think that for me is a really positive thing. I also think how Virgil works really inspires a lot of people. And that's why he's really super successful at what he does, you know, and Raph and, you know, there's lots of different people that 
have that thing where it draws people to go and do something. And I think that's a really important thing. Because the interesting thing, one interesting thing, is that this is the very highest stratum of fashion. It is the most expensive, yeah. the, the most the most kind of exclusive. But you've opened it up. I mean, yeah. I mean, people now. I, I mean, there must be so many people who couldn't afford couldn't afford the clothes, but who now are engaged by the world of deal men. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of really interesting when I go. You know, when I'm walking down the street in New York. And I think I was walking from, like, the Mercer to Canal Street, like, before Mark's wedding and Charlie's wedding, and and I saw five people with Dior things, shoes, bags, clothing, and I thought that was, like, seeing it on the street, for me, is the thing that makes me feel happiest, seeing people, they buy it because, you know, they love it because it is expensive, and it's, like... You know, also it makes people feel good about themselves. That's one thing I think is really, you know, that makes people happy. It's great. Do you think what you're doing signifies a kind of shift in menswear? Um, or, in, or, in, or in people's idea of what, what, what is masculine in this day and age? You know, there's the balance of things where, you know, there's an area which is a wardrobe from, that could be worn by a man or woman or any body that wants to wear it is like but then you know the things that I'm looking at from the Dior archive which are very women's wear things that you can then transfer into something by just moving it shifting it slightly it becomes something that's just you know what men wear now and I kind of is I love seeing the Instagram tags of you know of people how they're wearing stuff that always makes me interested because that's people that have gone and bought it and they think about how they're going to wear it. And, you know, it's just having all that information that makes you think of things in a different way. See, that there's been a delicacy almost in, <clears throat> in a lot of the stuff you've done, the lace and the, and the, fl- I and want, the flowers. I wanted lightness a... at Dior. I wanted elegance at Dior. And I wanted to have, you know, the art aspect of it. It doesn't mean I'll always work with an artist on a collection, but... For me, it's a really pleasurable experience and also for the studio and like, you know, you get these conversations which make you think in different ways and people go collaborating. You collaborate with so many people every day from the atelier to the press team to, you know, Pietro to Olivier to Mr. Arno. It's like, and each person gives you a little bit of information that you go and think about and process. And I think that's a really interesting thing. And I love it when people have seen a lot of products and designs and work you see them get excited by things that makes me feel very happy about what I do how significant do you think it is that you and Virgil who are both considered to be the sort of crown princes of streetwear have kind of moved away from that idea you know what it's like I think I you know you shift it's this it's natural progression isn't it it's like how you feel about things and you know, Michael Burke, who was always super supportive of me at uh, Viton. you know, one thing when we spoke as I was leaving, you know, it was, it was like, you know, just, you know, it was like, do you, you know, he, he worked at Dior and he said it's a very different thing. It is a very different thing. And, uh, you know, he was very sort of sweet and gave me, you know, an interesting perspective on the brand. And, you know, and I think that 
you know, it just people saying certain things. It's a very different way of working. It's a very different feeling to different places. I don't know. There's a certain allure there, I guess. When you when you're when you're given a couture atelier, when you're given the the uh, the options available in a couture atelier, do you find that you I mean, is, there is, I guess I'm thinking there's probably nothing you can't do. Yeah. Really. And, you know, and it's like kind of, you know, the next collection, we have a lot of interesting things coming. And, you know, it's a team. It's like the atelier will show us things and the way of making things that they've learned somewhere along their line, working with Yves Saint Laurent himself or, you know, different couture houses and they will look at a sketch and think actually this is really interesting i'll make a a trial of that and show show that and so there's a real conversation going on and it makes you think in a different way and i think you know as a designer it's nice to have different challenges and to think in a different way i don't think about myself when i do my work i think about the people that buy the clothes i think about the brand but obviously there's elements of me in there you know, so... Did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams that something like this would happen to you when you, no, when you graduated I did. from St. Martin's? No, I mean, you know, it's funny because John bought quite a bit of that collection and then I met Lee very shortly after and Lee was one of the people guiding lights for me along with Louise of, you know, giving me the confidence to just go. I never think small. I never have thought small. And I always felt that I would... Do, you know, I, I don't plan, I just do. That's how I do because I don't, obviously we're very organized and plan when we're working, but I don't have a game plan. I just, you know, things happen. You know, it's kind of like, it felt like a right time to do something else. Or there were opportunities there and it just happens. I don't know what it is. It's just, you know, I just do it. Alchemy. Yeah, exactly. What did you learn from Lee, do you think? <clears throat> um, we didn't really talk about fashion very much. We talked about other stuff. And it's just like, what well, I, you know, I, but he would always give you just like a sound bite that was really good. And, you know, when he'd like, you know, I remember him talking to Shelley over like a certain situation and he just gave her the most amazing sound advice, like that, just changed the way that she thought about it in such a instant going from feeling a bit sad about something to then just really super optimistic. And that's sort of kind of an incredible thing when people can do that. And I think that's what I learned from him really, you know, and also just, you know, the beauty that he brought in to the world, you know, and like the way that he worked. And it's funny because, you know, I've seen Sarah recently and I've seen Trino recently and it's really nice to be back in touch with them as well and see, you know, Sam Gainsbury and all these, you know, the people that are around and just like um, how things move on, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not nostalgic about stuff and it's like, you know, you were the person that told me Lee, Lee had killed himself and it was like, I was in the cab in New York and you called me when I was going to a breakfast for 40 um, press in New York when I was at Dunhill, and because oh, I hate Ed, to be the bearer of bad times. No, but it's like, but I'd rather hear it from you than someone else, you know. And it's like Ed 
Filipowski and Kerry at KCD. I was immediately driven to KCD because obviously they were both very close with League, especially Kerry. And, and it was like, it felt like, you know, there was that person there that you could grieve with, you know? It was like... But, but were you were you surprised by what happened subsequently with with him that he became this sort of the, became like the Godfather you know he became this don of um, of fashion um, did that surprise you that no not really because it's like he deserves that doesn't he it's like you know you know it's interesting to think how things would be if certain people were still around, yeah, you know? That's, yeah. for me, the question you always... You know, we look at this, you know, my fascination of 80s club culture and these people like Lee Bowery and how that would have, you know, mutated over the time and, you know, changed. It's like all these people, in art, you know, that went too soon and, you know, because of things like AIDS and it's like what the world would be be like if they had all been around still. I mean, you've set yourself up in in um, as a pretty significant keeper of the flame. I mean, you have a collection of of uh, clothing of English of British fashion from the eighties that is like a museum worthy collection. And and I think of all the DJs and all the music and your your very archival approach yeah. to pop culture is is. Really interesting when you look at your work in fashion as well. How do the two? How do you feel the two mesh? Um, I mean, my you know my passion for these designers from that time. I think it's I wasn't there at the time, and I think it just seems so. You know, looking at the imagery from it, looking seeing the clips that Jeffrey Hinton, you know, would put in the VNA show. And the fact he filmed everything, it's kind of like, it just seemed like an absolute, he showed me something on a DVD and it was just like, you just wanted to be there. It was kind of like the energy that came off it was so powerful. So I think that's really sort of where that interest comes from. But I don't, you know, I, I just, well, music is something that I can't live without. I have to have it, you know, and it's like, and it does, the way I'm doing the show music, it's so, I'm so, just obsessed by that it's a you know and then i'll drive everyone nuts by playing it non-stop when we're doing the fittings but then everyone you know it's like you know it unfortunately that's just how it is but it's like it's something well it's another, oppor- you it's another opportunity for you to work with people like honey dijon people that yeah. you admire that you can bring into your world now do you think in a in a funny way you're you're trying to recreate you're trying to create your own version of the that energy from that scene then I don't think I'm trying to re- recreate it I just appreciate the fact how people crossed over and did things together and I like that you know they created a family or you know that related to you know like a body map or you know it's like all those different things where things became a community and I think that's really interesting the fact that people felt they belonged to something is very key, I think, and I think that's even more relevant now. Well, the the tribalism of fashion has always been one of the most fascinating things about it. I mean, someone I'm really fascinated by and absolutely admire hugely is Rick Owens and how he creates things, and, like, it's always so impressive, but I've only ever bought two pieces of his work because it's 
doesn't suit me I, I don't think but I absolutely love it you know and it's like something where you look at things and you can really appreciate them for um and have admiration and it's but it's not the thing that I wear you know it's like I love the fact there's people doing different things and being successful and wonderful and you know all these different brilliant designers it's like I don't get you know I never get I always laugh when someone does something really good and I go that's so good you've made me really jealous so I think it's a, I said that's the biggest compliment I can give someone and it's like um I think it's just really sort of you know I just love seeing different people and it's like I think it's great when people have so many different views on stuff and I sort of you know sometimes when you read people and they don't understand it so they won't be particularly positive about it I think that's a negative way to look at the world do, but do, do you feel like there's a um, there's a real hunger for for that now that sort of tribalism that identification that sort of need the need to belong that because the world has become so unmoored in a way um, that the cult of Kim or the cult of Rick or the cult of of Virgil offers people a safe place in a way. I think it's, you know, I think people want to be identified in a way or they want to be part of something and I think it's nice when people feel they can be part of something. I think it's a really good positive thing in the world. You know, there's a lot of things that are quite unsure in the world at the moment. So when people, something gives someone security, or it's a good thing. Well, I love the way you give people so many talismans. You know, you 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 have always worked from the big picture to the tiniest little detail. Yeah. You know, you love a key ring. You love a you love a sort of little travel doodad. Um, you're you're very you're very conscious of making a world which actually I did talk about the, the expense of the clothing but making a world that people can buy into on on so many different levels but doing it in in a way like like those little objects um that that are quite quite sort of fetishistic in a way yeah, I mean for me I think this is kind of like objects so, you know it's like that's an obsessive thing and that detail you know is those little things which people like just like did I just see that and it's like Andre Walker would always <clears throat> when he'd see like little details like that and he'd be like you're ridiculous and I love you for it and just like laugh about it and you know with Mark when we were we worked together at Vuitton and things like that and it's like it's just it, you know that kind of a bit of a boy's toy when I reissued that watch at Dunhill for example the key watch is how I envisaged that as a glossy page in a magazine as a single image because it's such a beautiful thing and the fact that was originally done I think in 19 in the 1920s I just thought it was so, so cool and, and fact, that's on your key ring right yeah now. that's my old house key and um, you know and we then people would make their house keys even though you can't use it as two because it's silver and it would like bend in the lock but it's a nice thing it becomes yours it's personal and I think in the luxury market now that's something also very important to think about and the fact that details of stuff like that you can't go wrong with a button no exactly yeah exactly and you know someone that I do I like to talk about details with is you know Johnny who's really super so micro detail. this is Johnny Ives yeah and it's mm. like 
you know, we were, I was, had dinner with him in San Francisco recently and it was like, we were just like obsessing about really stupid little things and it's just amazing. He's always really impressed at how much we do in a short amount of time and I just can't even get my head around how he makes this thing. And it's a slow process. It's like, but it's, you know, I find that, I think because I'm so accustomed to the speed I work at, to this sort of slowing down aspect of, you know, what sand makes the glass is like mind blowing. And then what's inside it as well. You know, it's like, it goes into like, just is like looking at a pyramid. Well, I would, I would, say, what, I would say what you share, <coughs> what you share with somebody like him is obsession though. And how, how important is, is obsession to what you do? I mean, completely. You have to be obsessed by your work. I think if, you're at, you know, I'm very fortunate with everything, you know, I think you have to be obsessed over the, the, um, tiniest things, you know, my things, I know what I do is expensive. So I know we have to think about everything in it to give the consumer the best possible thing and give them options, you know? So what is the future of luxury in, in the light of that? I don't like talk about things like I just do my work and I do what I think is right for the brand and I just you know I observe everything I'm never not scanning it's like I'm terrible sometimes because I'll be having dinner with someone in a restaurant I'm looking at someone's handbag in the corner and I, I always have to say I'm really sorry I'm not bored I'm just like I can see something in my mind's going over into overdrive and I think that's kind of just how I am and but do you think personality is more is going to be more important that this is what we're talking about we've been talking about this notion of people identifying with with product and with you giving them something to identify with because it's not like something you see everywhere else and yeah and it has this kind of quirkiness even though it's wow this is deal for men this is like a luxury product but it's really quirky and 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 slightly weird in a way yeah, I mean, I, just, I don't see it as that because I just, I have my view and it's like how I, I mean, I, it's what my interpretation of Dior is, that's it. And my main purpose of my job and my brief my job is to keep my bosses happy and to sell things to people that love them. Sorry. <laughs> you know, that's it. You know, I'm very lucky I can do a job I love and I have freedom and respect of the people I work for and the support and a team of people that I see every day that I really love, you know? How much of a political animal do you need to be to work in that environment? Um, I mean, you have to really, like, you just have to know what, you know... I, I think, you know, I, I speak what I think, basically, but, you know, and I think sometimes that might shock people when I'm in a meeting, but it's like, it's just facts, and I don't think... You know, I think the one thing is I'm very decisive when we're working and I'm very fast when we're doing things. And I think some, you know, that can be quite, you know, I when I went to do a, we had an existing team and I sat down with them and I said how we work. And I think they were, you know, it was, and I, you bring people in and involve them. And I think that's just how it is. But, you know, I, you know, it's like, I won't fluff things up for people, but I won't say it in a, way that's offensive I just say it how I think it is and I think that's you know it's really important to just be truthful to you know talking you know 
to the people I work for. It's like you learn things, they talk about things, you process them, and then you're like, I don't agree with that, or I like this, I think this is right, and that's right. And they respect you for saying that, and they let you do it how you want what to. Honesty. Be. Yeah, honesty. And I think I like that, and that's what I love about Pietro because he's completely honest, supportive, and great. And if there's something he doesn't like, he'll say it, and you don't take offense to it. You just, you know, it's like, do you like that or do you don't like that? And I do love to have him involved in the processes of, you know, when we're doing the bags for the shows and going in and looking and saying, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Because it's a different eye, but it's an eye that also knows what, you know. Well, Pietro Lucari is a very particular kind of CEO, though, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's also incredibly, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, I, I have to say it to you, there's a lot of really incredible people. And, you know, Olivier is someone that I didn't know before Dior. And, you know, I absolutely, you know, he's really, really like a special person. And like, you know, it, him and Lucy, who it's nice seeing them working together as well and doing things that make, you know, like just see them going into the corner and having a bit of a giggle on it. Like, so it's a nice environment to work in. How do you think you've uh, changed um, or grown uh, in, in, in your time in fashion? Uh, do you do you I don't think surprise I, yourself ever? Not really. I mean, I just think you know because I don't really have much time to reflect on those sorts of things. I just get on with it, and I think I'm still probably exactly the same person I was when I was at college, which everyone will probably say that to you. Um, but you know, I've got more confidence, I guess. But if this is a you say things just happen, that there's no game plan. If this is a pinnacle. Like your man as a pinnacle. What on earth could happen next? I don't know. That's it. <laughs> I don't. I don't have strategies. I just do go with the flow. Marine biologist. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I would like to be. Not that I have a retirement plan, but if I was going to stop doing fashion, I'd probably go into conservation and doing things. You know, I have a serious knowledge of the natural world, and I do a lot of conservation work. That's why you see me in different parts of the world. I support a lot of communities to protect very endangered animals, normally about that have under the, a thousand in the wild. And that's my private passion. And, you know, I'm really proud to support those things, but I don't talk about them really. I just do it. It's like, it's not, I don't do it for self-affirmation. I do it because it has to be done. You know, I would hate, you know, the thing for me, the planet, everything on the planet deserves to be there. And it's like, we don't want, you know, my thing is I would hate it for the next generation not to see a Duke Lango in the world or a pangolin or a kakapo from New Zealand. And, um, you know, these are really unique animals that are very special. And it's like, you know... People can test you use leather, you use fur and things like that. It's a very different conversation, but to keep the things in context for the next generation is very important. Well, one way or another, you're going to leave a legacy. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, that's the thing, you know, I guess, you know, that's, that's quite a big sort of thing to think about. But I do, 
when I work for Vuitton or I work for Dunhill or I work for um, Dior, I do think about your chapter in the book there is always the, in my head, you know, it would always be present. What will people look at in the exhibition in 50 years time? So what, what would you say after, after all of that, what would you say is your biggest challenge? I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm very reactive to what, to environments that I'm put into. So it's, you know, I'm still processing Dior. It's like, I've only been there a year and it's like, it's a very different role to my role before. So you process it as you go along. That's the thing. But you know, it's, I'm super happy with it. It's amazing. I love it. You know, it's like you know, it gives. It's given me a really good work-life balance as well, which is really good. Thank you very much, Kim. Thank you, Tim. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might be interested in BOF Professional, our global membership community from the business of fashion. BOF Professional members receive unlimited access to all of our articles, daily members-only analysis, the BOF Professional iPhone app, biannual print issues, and all of our online education courses as part of your membership. For a limited time only, we are offering BOF Podcast listeners an exclusive discount on an annual BOF Professional membership. To get 25% off of your first year, click on the link in the episode notes, select the annual package, and enter the special invitation code PODCAST2019 at the checkout. We hope you enjoy it, and don't forget to tell your friends.